The following story will be released in two parts. The following story contains body horror, paranoia, discussion of mental illness, and war, which might be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Come on. Come on now, there's got to be one somewhere around here. I mean, it was a war for Griffin's sake. Ow. I might have to look. Oh, hello! If it isn't my fellow traveler. So good to see you again. I assume you've come for another tale, another story for entertainment, and not for the countless corpses surrounding us. Here on this forgotten battlefield, men and women and everyone else died for something here. Whether it was something they hated, loved, believed in, we can never be sure. But on ground stages like this, there will always be a remnant of the play these unfortunate actors were forced to perform. Ah, finally. Look into this abandoned helmet. I don't recognize the make of it, but it has plenty of lore to pass on in this murky swamp it has played home to over the years. A foggy substance inside, we can see the rains that rotted men, the rats that ate them, and their blood that was spilt all over the ground. But what I want to tell you is about two lonely men. No, two boys stuck in hell under many tons of dirt. Sit down, preferably not on a body and listen to our next adventure of Vision 2, Oliver. The following letter was written by Private Oliver Campbell and was recovered at site Underneath the trenches near after recovery unit dubbed the librarians had investigated and confirmed that the tortured was indeed in sight. This guy's not a scary. And that the tortured was at least partially responsible for three disappearances of personnel. I will now read from the letter. I remember the professor saying, as long as there is any form of life, sentient or not, Something is always going to get rid of another thing. As long as there's any human on this planet, we will love, we will eat, we will sleep, and we will kill. Even when I try thinking smart like that, it still doesn't make any of this better. I know you were always saying the good Lord provides and guides, Ma, and all I'm saying is, I'm hoping for a care package from the big man upstairs. This place has me missing home. I miss you, Ma. I miss my dogs. I miss my darling Karen. I just want to go home. I'm conflicted between wishing Dad never made me use a pick or being happy we worked in the mines at all. Down here, they make us dig tunnels for lots of reasons. Well... It's generous to call them tunnels. They're more like holes for mice and where the rodents being pushed through. I hate it. 
but the stories they tell me of what's happening up top makes me feel safe down here. But then they got us clearing out enemy booby-trapped tunnels and suddenly, I don't feel so safe no more. We dig to get behind enemy lines, to establish recon posts, supply caches, and whatever General McKay can think of next. Boy, oh boy, I can tell you it's hard work, and me and the fellas get no thanks whatsoever. The general's a mean old bastard who tells us to just make do among the doo-doo. We're surrounded by piss, shit, and corpses, all of them going in the same hole. We're expected to dig and dig and dig until we keel over like Donahue. Man, he was as old as old man Kel down the street, a bona fide statue of a man. And built like one too. But one day while me and him were digging, the old coot just seized up and died by the time the sawbones got a good look at him. He stared at nothing but the mud and gunk and the cold unfeeling stone down here that he was chipping away at, slowly but surely. But when we saw his face, he looked like he saw the devil himself. His face was frozen that way for a while. Even after they took away his body to the pit, I could still see his face when I slept. What little sleep I got anyhow. It was always there, haunting me. The walking statue finally froze solid, and his face keeps looking at me, his eyes staring into me. Why, old boy, why? I can hear him ask me. Why? And this brings us as to why I'm writing this letter so soon after my last one. Ma, I need you to give this letter to Father Patterson, and I beg you to not read further on. Though, I think you will anyways. You were always a nosy one. Hello, Father. The last priest they had out for his boots got shot the other day, so I can't confess my sins as conveniently as I used to. It's not like I can walk on up to the poor man in his deathbed and ask. So's, I thought this was the next good way to do it. I'm assuming that you read the above, and it's why I'm asking for forgiveness from the Lord up above. And maybe you could give me some much-needed advice. Donahue was a good man. He was just an old grandpa going to war so his grandkids didn't have to. I respected him. He was funny and kind. The thing I didn't want to tell Ma was that I think it's my fault Donahue bit the dust. When the general cracks the whip and tells us to dig, we're supposed to do it in shifts. But the other day, when Donahue bit the dust... I hurt my foot something bad some hours before. Not anything real bad, but I couldn't put no weight on it without crying like a babe. Seeing my pain, Donahue looked at me and said in his funny accent, Don't worry, lad. You just get your rest. He took my shift, and after digging for a while, we both heard something funny. Like the stone was breathing, whispering. I thought that maybe it was the case of having no food for a while had made my head loopy. 
Maybe it was too much of the hooch Will had snuck in. But we heard the rocks start to speak something. I couldn't hear it, but old Donahue, from the look on his face, he could hear the frightening stuff loud and clear. But on me, I couldn't hear it so good. What was loud enough was the sound of the earth sliding against each other and some steam pouring out of a spout in front of Donahue's face. He didn't even make no noise. He just fell over and seized up, his face looking like he was trying to eke out a scream that would never come. I told everyone else he just up and died instead of trying to convince the platoon that the tunnels were speaking to us, that there was hot water pouring out of spouts, that was apparently real dangerous. The spout disappeared too. It was real spooky. Looking back, maybe I should have asked the Sawbones Peterson if he could tell us how Donahue died. Or maybe I should have told the fellas what really happened. But as you say, Ma, doing too much hindsighting just leaves you behind sightseeing. After they dumped Donahue in the pit of bodies to be sent back up for burial, and maybe to be sent back to the States, I never knew which, I could still see him in my dreams. Wild boy, why didn't you help me? The guilt. Seeing him in my dreams every night, it was eating away at me, father. Every time I chunked away at the stone, Every time I was eating what little food we had, every time I was trying to fucking sleep, I was thinking of his frozen face rotting away amongst the other poor bastards we dumped in there. The general kept saying that there would be a cleanup crew down soon enough to perform their last rites and bury him. But something told me that he was lying. I don't know. Something deep down in my gut told me that to clear my head of these horrible feelings and to do right by old Donahue, I would have to do his last rites myself. Forgive me my sins, father. Let me confess. For us boys down here in the rat holes, there's no day and there ain't no night. It's lights on always and lights out never. We only ever sleep when the general ain't there to bark orders at us and when there's positively ain't nothing to do. So, when all the fellas were tired and trying to sleep, I offered to keep a lookout so we wouldn't get a reprimand for snoozing on the job. I lied to them, and I guess that was the first sin. The other sins I need help figuring out. While the boys slept, I went to the pit, where we threw away our piss and shit, and where we temporarily kept bodies. Although we fixed the bodies to look nice and at peace, it still felt disrespectful to have them just thrown in there at first, as if they're nothing but sacks of bad potatoes. I was careful not to slip and bust my behind on old friends and foes, stepping slowly, real careful-like. Maybe it was the way I was thinking too hard about not busting my behind, maybe it was Glenn's loud, horrible snoring that you could hear from Timbuktu. But when I finally got to old Donahue, 
I noticed that the whispers started again. When they did, I don't know, but the stone was speaking to me, and I felt myself become real primal. Not in the fight like a cornered wolf hunted tiger sort of way, but more like a rat. The rat that I was, fearing that steamy poison that killed Donahue, I scuttled away from the walls, away from Donahue, and in my panic, I stepped on the other corpses trying to get away. If I felt like a real jerk for doing Donahue in a bad way, I felt even worse when I smashed a couple faces with my steel toes. In the middle of the lineup, I was shaking something bad. The whispers were all around and they just kept coming. Frozen. I had no choice but to listen. And boy, did I listen. It took some time to suss out the words being quietly shouted at me. Gore Bubba. Core Waffer. Corpse Robber. Corpse Robber. Corpse Robber. Corpse robber, corpse robber. The stone watching over the body started forming into a man. A jigsaw puzzle of one. His face broke apart and reformed into weird shapes. Looking like a Picasso painting, his mouth moved amongst his eyes, his nose on his chin flaring, ears above his head. The very sight of him confused me. He continued to scream at me. Corpse! Robber! I wanted to run. I wanted to push the man with the jigsaw face back into the wall. I wanted to be anywhere but there in that moment. His face rearranged itself into mine. Looking into a mirror, he continued to accuse me. Jealous of the hard work. Jealous of Donna, you. You are nothing. You are a coward. You deserve death. You deserve damnation. I yelled back that it wasn't true. I was trying to do right by Donahue. I was. I was just trying to do right. But then, the man, he looked at me, put a finger to his moving mouth as if to shush me. And it was then that I realized the fellas had woken up and they were yelling at me. They said I woke them up, asking what I was screaming for, saying that they were trying to talk to me for a couple of minutes now. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to point at the devil to make sure that I wasn't going crazy. But when I looked over at the wall, he wasn't there shushing me no more. He was gone. I still don't know what I could have said to the fellas. It was then that the general came running like a bloodhound sniffing out some prey. He looked at all of us for a cool minute with those angry eyes of his. It was then that the fellas ratted me out. They said I was going loopy in the head, messing with the dead, playing in the piss and shit, and screaming to no one. 
I gotta admit, it was a bad picture. They forced me into a cage of sorts. The general says it's for my own good that the war has damaged my psyche. Whatever that means. But I'm not crazy, father. I'm scared. I'm scared that the stone devil is going to kill me with its theme like it did Donahue. I'm scared that the general is going to let me rot in here. I kept telling him that I've got an okay sound in mind. The acoustics up there ain't that bad, but no matter what I say, he just yells at me over and over, screaming at me that I am, without a doubt, crazy. It's like if he says it with the right punch, repeats it seven times, and does a little song and dance, it's suddenly true. I'm pretty sure he's just gonna leave me in here. I gave one of the fellas the earrings Karen gave me. I ain't proud, but he said it was the only way he'd accept talking to me and taking this letter out to Ma and you, father. I hope his whole deal with his smuggling idea works out. But just in case it don't, if anyone else gets this letter that is not Maria Campbell or Father Trent Patterson, please send it to... This guy's is here we... There is no date on either letter, but the following entry is believed to be a continuation sometime after Private Campbell sent the first letter. Maybe he got worried, maybe he was scared. It reads as follows. Please, help me, Father, or anyone else reading this letter. I don't care if it reaches the right people. I just... I don't want to die down here like a rotten mole. I just want to go home. I want to marry Karen. I want to grow old with her and have a hundred goddamn kids adopted or not. I don't want to rot away and become nothing more than a stinking sad memory. Pray for my soul, Father. I swear on everything that I love, that I wasn't robbing no corpses, and that I'm not losing my marbles. Please, if you can absolve me of my sins, maybe the stone devil will leave me alone. I hope this reaches you soon. I hope it reaches anyone. I can hear the whispers. I can hear something, someone walking inside the walls. Stone sliding on stone. Slunk, slunk, slunk. It's driving me insane. Maybe I am crazy, but I don't want to die here crazy and alone. If Tyler Sloth Robber Corpse Robber Corpse Robber Sitter Sitter Oliver Oliver At oh five hundred hours, March fifth, Private Camp Bell was heard screaming from the room he was imprisoned in. Private Camp Bell was reported to be held in a makeshift cage made of wood and locked with a padlock. 
Commanding Officer Pewter McKay assigned Sergeant Ian Colesworth to guard Private Campbell. After two hours of screaming, Commanding Officer Pewter McKay did not authorize investigation into the disturbance, despite his underwings concern, citing that if something was amiss, the sergeant would report in. After another half hour of silence and continued protest from his soldiers, McKay did authorize an investigation effort, including him and the rest of the squadron tasked with tunnel construction, dubbed the Tunnel Rats. Reports from McKay and his soldiers described finding that both Private Campbell and Sergeant Colesworth were not found in the room they were last seen in. McKay, in the aftermath interview, expressed confusion. This is his statement. I don't bloody well know where the two went, alright? The tunnel was very straightforward, and the room Private Campbell was imprisoned in was recently constructed as a storage depot. There was no other path to take without passing by me and the boys. Me and the other tunnel rats would have seen him escape. Or, if Sergeant Coldsworth were, uh, indiscreetly disposed of. McKay did take notice and reported of the room being very steamy, with chunks of slate having fallen from the ceiling. Very dangerous. I thought we were about to have a cave-in. The following journal was found two days after, on March 7th, at 1530 hours. After examination, it has been confirmed by family and the upper brass to match the handwriting of Sergeant Colesworth. I can hear him skittering along the walls, watching us, hearing us. Perhaps Oliver was telling the truth, but seeing as both he and I are now in a different tunnel, shut off from the rest, I cannot protest his innocence to the commander. We are being hunted, hunted by the man in the walls. Oliver keeps crying like a baby and warning me about the steam the man uses as a weapon. But so far, the man seems determined not to hurt me physically, but mentally. He speaks to me of my most personal demons, of my alcoholism, of the night five years ago that I told no one else about. How does it know when I've never opened my lips to anyone about it? Nor have I written it down. In his wretched voice, the demon demands that I atone for my sins. That I take my gun and end both Oliver's and my life. I may be a no-good drunk stuck down here with the other rejects. But I'm not mortal. Not so much of a of a weak man to snap, he would resort to murder to save my own heart. Although the man in the wall starts when he knocks us and wants us to kill our sister, only selves in some hella and muscleish satisfying opposite as shillingment. Oliver and honor of all, I have resolved the laws of a hell. Oh, oh my. 
I hated when this happens. I knew I should have purified the water before trying to look into the visions. <sighs> I'm sorry, my friend. But it looks like we'll have to spend some time clearing up the story before continuing. Why don't you help me? We'll need another helmet filled with mud, gunk, and preferably more water. And we'll also need items with strong personal attachment. Religious mementos, precious marriage rings, weapons steeped in hatred, etc. It'll take us a day or two to complete the ritual, but I have plenty of food to sate us long enough. Would you like a canned hamburger? Come now, come. We've got work to do if we want to know what happens, and believe you me, you do. Hi again. As I was writing this, I thought it was getting a bit too long. Even if it feels like I've barely given you enough info for this to be a proper episode, a proper intro. But the second part will be out soon enough on Saturday the 30th. That's like three days after this one. I'm sorry, I, I truly am. But I'll try and make it worth the wait. As for the technical stuff, this story was written by Jacob Harold, i.e. me. And sound effects were provided by Anchor.fm and VoiceChanger.io. Thanks, see you next time, and for business inquiries, uh, there's propheticdropletspod at gmail.com, and as for our social media, there's propheticdropletspod on Instagram. I don't have anything else, I'm still working on it. See ya! If you liked the episode or didn't like the episode, didn't like the show, like the show, whatever, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you've got any criticism, please drop it into the DMs at Prophetic Droplets Pod on Instagram or just leave it on a comment on one of the posts. I'll read it anyways. Thank you.